Welcome to the Ag Emerge podcast brought to you by Ag Solutions Network. We're here to move the ag paradigm forward by helping you regenerate your soils using new ideas, research, and emerging technologies. Get ready to improve your soil, your crops, your livestock, and your family's livelihood. I'm Kim Sheese. And I'm Monty Bottoms. And we're your hosts. Thanks for joining us. Today, we're excited to welcome our guest, Blaine Hitzfield, a second-generation farmer and business entrepreneur with a passion for regenerative agriculture. Blaine carved out an early life career by helping his family of seven brothers establish a farm-to-consumer business that thousands of consumers know as Seven Sons Farms. Today on the podcast, we'll discuss the success of the Seven Sons brand and how he and his family transitioned from conventional farming practices to regenerative, pasture-based farming models. Blaine and Monty cover everything from disruption of the food system, impact on local communities, customer trust and loyalty, and utilizing technology to make it all happen. So let's jump right in like to welcome everybody to this edition of the Ag Emerge podcast. I'm really thankful to have uh, Blaine Hitsfield with us today, uh, the CEO of Seven Sons, and uh, many other things you're going to learn about here shortly. But Blaine, I wanted to uh, have you take an opportunity to tell us a little bit about your story, you know, your family story and, and uh, with your mom and dad and the farm, where it's all come. And tell us a little bit about your personal story too. So I'll let you weave it all together there for us. Sure. Yep. Well, I appreciate the invitation to, to jump on with you here and have a, have a conversation and have a lot of respect for what you, you guys are doing over there in the next state over. Um, well, a little bit about uh, me personally, I grew up on uh, our family farm. So it was a conventional uh, farrow to finish hog operation uh, back in the eighties, I think is when dad bought uh, the, the farm. So I grew up working on the farm as a conventional operation. And uh, let's see here, right out of, I, I always, I mean, I swore I, I would not stay on the farm and I was serious about it. I, I, it was not something I thought I would be doing very long at all. Um, it was right out of high school, got married age 19 and uh, worked a few odd jobs. I want to say it was, um, it was around 2010 when, um, oh, it was before that, actually, I, I, I could notice that with my family starting to diversify. So my dad and mom decided uh, this conventional farming thing, one, didn't, didn't have much future for our family to be involved. I mean, I have, I have six other uh, brothers, so there's seven of us all together. Um, wasn't a lot of opportunity for us at the same time. This would have been mid-90s. My mom was diagnosed with a very severe autoimmune condition. Uh, led my parents down the road of just really immersing themselves into health and wellness, diet, nutrition. There really is so much to learn there. Um, And they got to the point where they did not believe in what they were doing uh, with the conventional farming operation that they had. And so they they made some major pivots. um, And those pivots really actually uh, opened up opportunities for the rest of us brothers to uh, to get involved in the family farm. One of those major pivots they made was towards direct marketing. And growing up through high school, that was a, that was a keen interest of mine. Was, at that time, it was called internet marketing, where you built, you know, designed websites and, and tr- worked on your SEO strategy. Uh, now it's so much more than that. Um, but that was, that was my interest, and that's what I wanted to do. And I, I really 
took an interest in what my parents were doing here and the, the involvement I could have with, with marketing. So I think I was 14 actually when I coded the first website for Seven Sons. It was just an HTML, very simple website, but it, it did the trick. I mean, uh, you know, it, it was, it put us kind of on the forefront. We did identify early on the internet marketing, digital marketing was an opportunity gap in, in the local food uh, direct to consumer business. So we really put a lot of focus there. So that allowed me to actually come back to the farm um, full time. Uh, I was probably 22 when I was able to come back to the farm full time. Uh, since then, uh, my wife and I now have five kids. Uh, we live on the farm. Uh, all six of my other brothers, including my parents, are involved full time. So all seven of us are here. We have a team of about 30 uh, 30 equivalent full-time staff on the farm. And mind you, we're only 550 acres. So there's a lot of diversity and a lot of value added opportunities that uh, from web developers, software developers, and then, you know, everything, all the talents that are needed for the farm side of things. Uh, we really have a very diverse uh, team of people here and we feel very blessed and we're having a lot of fun. Uh, us brothers comment, knock on wood, we get along better now than we ever did. Um, and that's with multiple families involved, which is a, which is a feat in itself and a trick that um, uh, that's difficult for many families and, and, um, and that we don't take that for granted. It's something that we do have to work at all the time, but we're having a, a great time. We have, uh, there's three main, I don't know how much you want me to explain at this point, but we have three main livestock enterprises. We have the grass-fed cattle. We mainly just finished. We buy in heavy uh, feeders each spring. We finish those by fall, late winter about 200, 250 head of cattle per year. Uh, last year, we finished around 1,000 pasture-raised hogs, and we run about 10,000 lane hens that uh, during the growing season, we move to fresh paddocks every day. We've got a lot of YouTube videos that kind of show how that's done. And 80% of everything we produce on the farm and work with with other producers is sold direct to the consumer. So about 20% of our business is wholesale. So that, that kind of gives you a little bit of background with myself, how I got involved in the farm and kind of where we are with the overall operation. So I think it's really interesting, you know, the, the motivation there. And I've always said, if you give farmers the right information and the, tell them the right thing to do, eventually they will do that. And yeah. I think you see that with your mom and dad. Uh, and they, she went through autoimmune disease. My wife had autoimmune disease. We started looking into these things. What's causing this? Yep. Uh, because we were under the understanding that God didn't create our bodies to attack themselves, which yes, is essentially right. what the autoimmune, so something's confusing it. Yes. And uh, we went down that path and we discovered what her things were, but through that, it kind of gave us a better understanding of uh, an appreciation for food and its connection to our um, health and well-being. And, and then uh, we bumped into that uh, crazy guy from North Dakota at a no-till conference, uh, Gabe Brown. I got to hear yeah. him present. And then three weeks later, I heard him at no-till on the plains and got to hear him there. And, and I'm like, okay, God, I get it. You don't have to beat me over the head any longer. Well, so I took my wife to North Dakota for her birthday. You know, that's, that's a great that's, yeah. thing to do. I'd recommend right. for you and your, your wife to do that sometime. It's awesome. And I said, either this is, if this is too good to be true, we need to write him off as a fake and a phony, yeah, or if it or, is this good to be true, we need to start doing it immediately because, yep. you know, 11, 12% organic matter, give me a break. Right. So I went up there and, and dug around and sure enough, you know, there it was. And then after that, that got me in the grass fed loop. And then that's where I met you is at my first grass fed exchange that I went to and yep. you were in the corner there 
uh, pedaling grays cart, you know, yes, at, yes. <laughs> at a booth that you just set up and like, well, we're kind of doing this now we've done it with Gabe and Paul and we think we can kind of do it. And I'm like, okay, well, that's, that's one component of what we're going to have to do. And right, right. I realized that, okay, if we're going to do this on our high land costs and labor costs that it's going to take, okay, we're going to have to direct sell that to, so the margin that we make in the direct sales can go back to support the farming aspect. I mean, yes. So yes. it's a totality, right? Unfortunately, right. you can't stand alone in this market, which we need to talk about that. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, so that's how we got to where we are and how uh, Blaine and I have been working together is on the uh, direct marketing software that they have, Gray's Cart. It'll be in the show notes there. It's a uh, uh, so simple. Any farmer can do it. See? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so the yeah. Geico well, commercial about cavemen. I mean, but it, it's <laughs> awesome. And the thing I love about it is it's developed by farmers. So um yeah. That's, yeah. That's a great part. Yep. Yep. No, we tell folks that, I mean, if, if, you know, none of us are college educated here at seven sons and we've hired people that are, but I mean, if we can start this thing and figure it out, you can, it just takes, it just takes a couple of years of uh, trial error and dedication. You can't, you can't expect it to be an overnight success uh, right. with your direct marketing businesses. But I it mean, takes that mindset change, right? Just like your mom and yes. dad had a mindset, Hey, what I'm doing is hurting, hurting us. So they went down there and then you looked at, if we want to do this, we're going to have to direct market. And that required that whole mindset change, which tripped, which would provide an opportunity for you that you wouldn't have come back to the farm with a confinement operation. Exactly. And that, I feel like that mind shift change, um, kind of at the, the core of it is a shift from uh, what's best for the farmer. And you're taking your focus off, like, in, like any business has to, and focus on your customer and consumer, what's best for your, your consumer. I always reflected that it, I feel like agriculture, not, not to pick on agriculture too much, but as an industry, um, we are one of the only industries that I feel like uh, doesn't want to hear from our customer. When we actually, when we do hear from them, and most industries are trying to engage their customer, get ahead of their customer. What does my customer want next? In industrial agriculture, it's don't dare tell me what to do. Don't ter- don't dare tell me you don't want food with Roundup, in, you know, raised in the soil. Uh, that that's just that's not a good that's not a good mindset for business. Um, uh, let alone caring for your customer. I think one of the one of the things that really hit home to us years ago, we had uh, I think Gerald Fry visited our farm. He was in the area. He stopped by, and uh, he's since passed away. But uh, he really did have a lot of influence on us. I remember he spent a full day at our farm a couple or many years ago. And I don't remember all that we talked about. I just remember him telling me, he said, listen, Blaine, if, you know, he knew I was in the marketing seat at the farm. He said, listen, if you remember just one thing, you remember this. He said, you as a farmer and a food producer, he says, the moment that you exchange something of value with a consumer. So the moment they give you money for the food you produce, he says, at that moment, you become directly responsible for that person's future well-being. And that's just the disconnect that Mm-hmm. Producers and consumers no longer make that connect connection anymore, and, and that's that's a belief change that I feel like if every farmer took that to heart deeply, we'd have an entirely different food system, entirely different farming system, uh, healthcare system. It would change everything. Just one belief. So the power of of a changed mindset is where it all starts. Can't change anything until you change your mind. And farmers are always uh, complaining about the fact that the big food companies are absorbing this 87 cents of every food dollar and the farmer only gets 13 cents and then commodity crops, it's probably closer to eight cents and the produce blends it up to 30%. But, you know, I, 
they complain about that. It's like, well, don't do something about it. You know, yeah. what company out there produces something then expects somebody else to buy it from them and or sell it for them. And right. Uh, buy it retail. So it's sell it's a challenge. And, you know, and I'm here, I'm on the, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fence sitter in my operation, right? 2,500 acres. We've got about 500 acres now is dedicated to uh, the livestock enterprise. And then the other is a corn soybean rotation, but it's all non-GMO. We have food grade beans that are, spe- you know, seed beans, all these kind of specially uh, value added enterprises on there. But still we're, we're in both sides of the, of the yeah. realm still uh, in the commodity production and also on the direct marketing. So it's uh, well, the, it, interesting, but there's, there's opportunities if you just open your eyes, right? Yes. And, and the actions, the change actions do take some time. I mean, what wasn't an overnight transition for us. Um, and mean, we you weren't magically selling to you, tens of thousands of people on day no, one. No, you, you could argue maybe we took, um, uh, I mean, I have to commend my parents for the risk that they were willing to take because they, they really did burn the boats. Um, maybe, I mean, even if I was in their position, I probably would have been a little more hesitant. You know, they had every, you know, back in the nineties, the I mean, everything was invested in that confinement hog operation and they just closed the doors to it. They couldn't liquidate much of it and they liquidated the stock, you know, the hogs, but a lot of infrastructure. They just, they still had loans on um, mm-hmm. and they were willing to go a different direction, which, uh, you know, which is really the challenge that I think about and that we should all think about is not to get lulled to sleep and, and always be willing to make those, you know, those tough, tough changes and pivots. So, but there is, there's so much opportunity. We what really changed the game for us is when we, re- we realized, okay, we knew we wanted to produce a better uh, food product but we also realized that it would take more input, especially labor uh, on our end. So we had to, we, you can't produce, you can't put more in a product than what you can get out of it. So we knew we had to find a customer that would appreciate it and climb that value chain. And uh, that's when the fun start, when the fun starts happening is when you, you do uh, find that initial group of customers that appreciate what you do and you begin to see the, the business model economics, this can make sense. Um, you know, that, that's when it really changed the game for us. And um, we just haven't looked back since, I think it was Alan Nation. I remember reading his book, Farm Fresh, I think it was called. Uh, he has a line that goes something like the, the greatest return for pure knowledge is, has been, and always will be marketing. I remember reading that. And I'm like, well, this, this, is, this is where I'm going to focus to try to add value to our family farm operation. So let's, let's talk a little bit about all that there and, and what do, you know, first off, when a, you know, a customer gives us feedback, let's say uh, they don't, you mentioned don't want glyphosate in their products. Okay. You know, today we say, well, you know, we've seen the research, we've seen the science, there's no basis to that. That's what the industry wants us to believe. Now with, with our folks, we've shared with, uh, you know, we followed with Dr. Kramer's work and Dr. Huber's work and then several other people downstream today about the impacts of glyphosate and it is real. And, mm-hmm. but when we hear, you know, when people tell us that, why do we ignore it? Right. So what are you hearing? What do people want today? And, and because of that, essentially, when you look at a lot of grass fed beef prices, I know things are in flux right now because of corn and beef prices on conventional, but let's say it's, it's typically a two, two X premium on grass fed, just as a a rough number. Mm -hmm. Uh, Why are people willing to pay twice as much for that grass fed and what are people telling you that they want? Or when you go into pastured chicken, which is, you know, three yeah. X price point, yeah. hogs are a three X price point probably. And um, what does that tell you? What are people, why do they do that? 
Well, you know, we've we've really taken a lot of time to try to dive into who is this customer because it is crazy. They can walk into the grocery store and they can pay half or a third sometimes. And and I think getting around that question is pretty important. Uh, th there's a couple different types of customers that we believe buy from us. Uh, and they're really in two camps. A lot of them, or maybe three camps. A lot of them are primarily motivated by, uh, by health. Uh, another primarily motivated by the ethical care of, of livestock. And then there's the environmental uh, people. And uh, I used to think that all those concerns every customer came with and shared equally, they don't. They come to us, they're either more concerned about health, environment, or, uh, or welfare. One of those is their main concern. Uh, for most of our customers, we have found that, um, that the welfare of the animals is probably their number one driving concern. Um, probably 60% of our customers would fit that group. Uh, the rest of them are mainly uh, health conscious motivated customers. And, and those can be broken down into uh, proactive folks that are, that are you know, they, they're healthy, but they want to remain proactive about their own body or that, or their children, what they're feeding their children. The other group would be uh, folks that are dealing with an autoimmune condition that are, you know, in a more of a reactionary mode. Um, either way, we find that customers come to us, whether they're concerned you know, about GMOs or concerned about the environment, the welfare of the animal, but by the time they get to us and they find seven sons, they're extremely frustrated. They're frustrated with all the confusing labels. They're frustrated with the fact that they've been walking into grocery stores and paying double and they find out all I got was a different label. I didn't get much of anything different. And by the time they get to us, they're frustrated. So my, I guess my, where I'm going with this, why do people buy from seven sons, a local farm or any other local farm? It, it all comes down to trust. Um, and that's ultimately every concern the consumer has can be boiled down to uh, a lack of trust in where they were buying their products. So you know, we're in the trust business. And I think that's a huge opportunity for, uh, for farms and, and the next generation as you, as you see this regenerative food movement unfold and consumers, more consumer awareness around this, uh, who, who's better to compete in the economy of trust than a local farm? Uh, compared to a multinational, you know, meat packer uh, or a multinational brand or grocery store chain, uh, we've got a real leg up. Um, it's just a matter of positioning. How do you position yourself to be found um, and produce, you know, create a system where you're producing a quality product with consistency? Um, but I, you know, I, but again, even producing the product with, that a customer wants, who's better prepared than a smaller scale or a, a farmer? who can be agile, who can change his production model. Uh, a large uh, meat packer or uh, you know, feedlot operation, you know, it's, it's hard to change the tra trajectory. It's hard to change what you're doing. So farmers, I feel like us farmers are positioned well, deliver what the customer wants and, uh, and build that story and deliver the trust. So we can outcompete the industry all day long on those two things. Where what we discovered the missing piece is convenience. And we talk about this all the time at Grace Cart and Seven Sons when we talk to other farms. Convenience is the gap that uh, a farm that's trying to direct market to the public has to fill that gap because that's where the industry has a leg way up on us. So, Right, because you can walk into any grocery store 24-7 yeah. and pick up what you want. And it's yes. convenient. Now, a um, couple, couple different directions go there. We can talk about how COVID has completely changed the mentality, purchasing habits and those kind of things, making more opportunities available for yes. farms. I think that's exciting. Um, the other thing is, is on the trust portion of it, 
uh, I, I want you to share a little bit about how you build that trust with your YouTube videos and your farm tours and those kind of things. Let's go there first. Um, when you're building your trust and also your farm tours, making it open and transparent. Yeah. And a lot of farmers I work with, uh, you know, work with a lot of dairymen in California and such. And they're, they're a little scared of that because you always see the, the viral videos online of, you know, yeah. people yeah. are, you know, and they're, they're afraid. I don't want that to be my farm. You know, like, well, you don't have that going on. What are you afraid of? And yep. so yep. what what's, what's that been like for you and uh, opening up your farm and, and yeah. probably more required in your business than a commodity farmer, but, but share about that a little bit in the videos that you do and that, that opportunity. So, yeah, you know, as I mentioned, it, it's a huge opportunity for farms to build that trust. And there's, I feel like right now, there's such an opportunity with the technology that exists like YouTube. Um, and, uh, you know, well, we've really leveraged YouTube. We produce almost a new video every, um, I mean, for sure, every month we're putting something up new, if not every week we're using YouTube. One, one thing we did, and this is just something, uh, too, for farms that aren't quite ready to have an open door policy like we do. So we advertise to our customers, you can come uh, anytime and ask to see anything you want. And we, we do, and that sounds scary. Like you mean anyone can show up and I got to drop everything we do. Uh, we have scheduled tour dates where we do wagon tours. So we try to keep a little bit of structure around it, but ultimately you don't want them out in the pasture cow tipping the bull. Exactly. Exactly. But, but ultimately um, the invitation is there and it needs to be there. Uh, and that is a scary thing, but what, you know, if you're, if you've never done that before, uh, but you know, what we found is that our customers are incredible advocates. You know, one of the, one of the reasons that seven sons has grown is because uh, of the repeat business uh, people coming back lifetime customers. These are people that really care about what we're doing. They, they care about our success. So it really brings a great clientele out. Um, you know, we've never had a poor experience with the thousands of visitors that, that show up at our farm. We've never, we've never had a poor experience. Uh, so a lot of that fear is just fear of the unknown to do that. Uh, but one thing we do every two weeks right now in the summer, we do wagon tours. Um, and these tours are actually paid tours where customers pay us and, and we find they actually show up if, if you ask them to pay for the ticket. Um, and, and one of the first things we do that's absolutely amazing experience for every customer that comes, we do a, a water infiltration uh, demonstration. So a soil health demonstration. Um, and that feels that almost seems too sciencey or too in depth for a, for a consumer. But it's every time we've done that, we start the farm tour off with that. It is such a visceral visual demonstration of the difference because we show conventional soil, what our soil was 20 years ago, and then we show them our soil and what it is today. And they see that water infiltration test. And these are people coming from, you know, 20 miles away in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And we correlate that to where their drinking water comes from, the watershed that it comes from, to the river where 30 million gallons of water is sucked out of the St. Joseph's River in Fort Wayne, Indiana every day. Um, and we make that connection literally making the connection between the health of the soil and connecting it with their faucet in their kitchen. And it's absolutely amazing, um, you know, the, the response that we get from our customers. Then we just go out and that makes the rest of the tour so easy because they understand everything we're doing is, is you know, benefiting the soil. And it, it's, not, it's not subjective at that point. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's demonstrated right in front of them. So that's, that's been one way that we've, kind of bridge that trust gap. Um, you know, we've, we've done it in a number of ways, but um, one thing we do with our YouTube videos, we have a virtual farm tour and we have a virtual soil demonstration. 
Um, and what I love about those is those are working for me all the time. Uh, I can be on this podcast and I guarantee you some right now is taking a virtual farm tour as we speak. That's, that's the leverage of technology that every farm has available to them right now. And, and you could go on and on with, uh, with other marketing advantages that we all can tap into right now. It's, it's, it's a different, it's a different economy and it's, and it's a unique time to be doing uh, this type of business. It's a unique opportunity for farms. And I think any farmer listening to this right now could easily take out the, the smartphone that they have and they can make a YouTube video yep. talking about what they do, whether it's almonds or wheat, whatever, just to uh, share with, even if you're not direct marketing, build yeah. goodwill within your community yes. and what yes. you're doing to prosper soil health, why you use cover crops, why are you doing you know, this uh, biological nutrient program, all these kind of things uh, just to, to get out there and... Uh, fear exists in a vacuum, right? Yeah. Yeah. So when you tell the story, then, then people don't have to, to fear the unknown. So yeah. yeah, that's great. And, and doing the wagon tours, that's, that's taken another level. And I love how you're doing the water infiltration tests. So that's awesome. Now, do you make them uh, take the sledgehammer and hammer the rings into the ground to we, do that? Or do you do that for them ahead of time? We do. Well, actually uh, I take that back. What we really do at the beginning is a, a, a rainfall simulation. So that's that. That's what we do. We not we don't always do the uh, uh, the water infiltration. Okay, I was going to say you got to be trespassing on the neighbors a lot. To <laughs> hammer those rings in. But so. whenever we take the conventional soil from the neighbor, we replace it with our regenerative soil. So uh, oh, okay, so you any don't of our neighbors, do you? No. We don't even charge. It's, it's a free service. <laughs> really <laughs> nice of you. I'm glad your neighbor loves you. Yeah. <laughs> but exactly. let's talk a little bit about how uh, consumer and buying trends uh, there have changed through COVID and, and what that's done uh, is an opportunity for other farms who want to, to direct market that yeah. that is, uh, you know, describe what happened to your business, what's happened with Grace Cart and what you, the trends that you see going on, because now, you know, it was one moment in time when people were afraid to go to the grocery store. So, I mean, yeah. it, completely yeah. upended and created this huge opportunity. Yes. Take it away and tell us about that. Yes. Well, you know, when, when March came around last year, um, I mean, our business was hurt, hit with a, a hurricane of, of business on, on the positive side. Uh, I think March, uh, uh, April and June, we saw 800% increases all coming from online ordering. Um, now, now since then, you know, we're not 800%, we're not maintaining that level of volume today. I figured you oh. were requiring that of everybody, Blaine. Had, yeah, right, so, right. Okay, hey, we got to have another 800% month. We did it last year. <laughs> yeah, right. I would, I could try. Um, but, but ultimately what happened in that period is one, people gained just as a stark reminder about how, I mean, I, I would argue how fragile the food distribution system really is. There's three days worth of food almost on average in the grocery store shelf for any city. Uh, you know, across the U.S. and people, you know, they understood that, um, and so this appreciation for security, appreciation for a relationship with a food producer, suddenly went up in value, and um, and, and you know, in the moment that was front and center in consumers' minds. Some of that has gone away for some people, but there's a residual effect of people that just have placed a higher value on that security of a food, food local food source. Um, you know, just for example, I, it didn't take more than three or four days of a panic and our, our meat shelves stores, grocery stores were, were without food, uh, or without meat on the, on the counter. Um, you know, when that, when that panic unfolded, I think we had, we had close to a six month supply of ground beef in the freezer. So such a, such a different, uh, uh more forgiving 
uh, food system and between the, the animals that are out on the, the pasture and consumers get that. Um, it, something else that happened during COVID was just that shift of a buying habit to being, being willing to place an online order and the expectation that it can actually get to my door safely. Uh, and cause that's a big, that was a much bigger hesitation pre COVID than what it is today, uh, ordering food for, for home delivery. Um, so th- you know, in my mind, those are the two biggest fundamental shifts that have changed since COVID people's willingness to order food online and their value they're placing on that direct relationship. So, um, that hasn't, that hasn't gone away. People still value that, uh, you know, post COVID. So, um, and just what kind of growth in uh, farmer customers did you have with your Grace Cart uh, online yes. shopping platform so, between now and then? How many more farmers are looking at going to direct marketing? Yeah, well, we have we have so we've been offering Grace Cart for about six years, uh, which is just an e-commerce platform um, that we you know custom built for our farm. Um, I think around um, I think around March of last year we had about 200 direct marketing farms that were licensing the, the software platform. And by about uh, April, end of April, that number had doubled uh, and it's, it's continuing to grow. So, um, so it, it's, it's, and it's fun for us to be able to, um, you know, our, our goal with seven sons and Grace cart is that there's, there's a seven, there's multiple seven sons businesses in every state. And if we can help out with that and help facilitate with tools, technology, and coaching, you know, th- that's our, our ultimate goal as we, as we move forward. Um, so we're, we're excited to partner with, uh, with new farms. And, and the reality is we don't have to all reinvent the wheel anymore. And when we got started 20 years ago with direct marketing, pasture-based, you know, uh, agriculture, that, that was, you know, that was a new, um, new way of doing things. There wasn't many folks to turn to for, for help. That, that's different today. I think Alan Nation always said it takes a new business that's starting within a new industry at least 10 years to reach any kind of viability. Um, and, and that was true for us. It, it took a long time of spinning our wheels, but that's not the case anymore. Someone can get started. I won't say that um, you can do it in one year, but uh, give it a good three years and you can get some real steam uh, under your, your direct marketing business today. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting how, you know, you pursued that and for your own and really the grace cart business just evolved out of people asking you to help them. And, uh, we, you know, that, that's, that's a interesting story in itself. We call it, yeah, we call it our accidental software business. Um, cause it was, it was originally just a tool to help us deal with things like how do you sell, you know, products that you need to sell by the weight, variable weight items online. How do you deal with mul- multiple sales channels of trying to fulfill an order that gets shipped and then an order that also gets fulfilled on your farm for a local pickup, right? Your processor, all these nuances that uh, e-commerce software just wasn't built to handle uh, that we had to come up with a solution for. And, you know, a lot of folks were knocking at our door saying, how do we, how do we replicate the same website you have? So we eventually took the uh, plunge into turning our website system into what's called a SaaS uh, software system. Uh, that plunge was a lot harder and more difficult than what we uh, thought it would be. And uh, so we're making adjustments as we go, but uh, uh, we're learning a lot and having a lot of fun. And it's very rewarding to see 
uh, farms having success stories with Gracecart. So we've got a lot of those on our Gracecart.com uh, website, uh, probably 20 videos on there of testimonies from farms that are using Gracecart. And I think the neat part about um, uh, you developing an offering to farmers is in, in the industry, there's, there, there's an A-B test uh, that you do. And as you being the fulfillment and the you know, production and coordinating processing and all those kind of things that you're doing as a farm, yep. when you do A-B testing of the website to see, does this feature work better than this feature? And, and you're able to test and iterate that at your own large volume farm Yes. Uh, to where, you know, like us just getting started with Grateful Graze or somebody else with a smaller clientele basis, we don't have the uh, insights and the knowledge necessary to get an accurate A-B test. Uh, we get, so we get those an are instant, some things that are unique about it. Yeah. So when you get an instant pulse, when we, for example, if we introduce a, a new feature, we instantly know, hey, did this work as intended or not? We're a, a traditional software company is going to have quite a latency in their innovations right. where we're innovating on the fly. And, and two, most software uh, companies are built with the idea, how do we build a profitable SaaS business? How do we then make our clients successful? And then in a B2C situation, the last thought is on the consumer where we're building Gracecart, the exact opposite. We're, we're zeroing in and obsessing about the consumer experience on our software platform. And then we're saying, how do we build this platform? So it's also meeting the business back in business needs of the farm or the client. Um, and then lastly, you know, the software SaaS business gets the short end of the stick, <laughs> but that's, what's best. We're building a, a, a consumer client centric software business, which is uh, unique and, and uh, something that uh, is hard to find. Right. And, you know, your own farm is the test subject, if you will, for the, yeah. for the software, instead of most software companies don't, don't have the product that they're marketing or helping to market. So, you know, me as a customer of that company would be the test subject, if you will, yes. for, for the AB right. tests and those kind of things. So I, you know, I think it's a novel approach. You don't see that in the software industry like ever. Yeah. So, and then the other thing that's interesting too, I mean, software as a service at one time was a hot category, you know, and investment and such. And really that's kind of, it's, it's declined in the last five years. There's not that much excitement in it anymore. So to get, yep. you know, a real niche type market in software as a service category for an investor, it's not that exciting of a space mm -hmm. to be in. So it, it's tough to do so. We appreciate your leadership and, and willing to go out there to make it possible for, for other farms across the country to be able to connect with consumers because that, that's a key to yeah. capture that margin to make it work. Our goal, yeah, our goal is to bring that same technology that, you know, the, the big guys are using, the big e-commerce guys are using. How do we take that same technology and make it available to, uh, to smaller operations? And that's, that's what we're doing every day. So when you're thinking about that and, and the consumer-driven focus on the end, uh, one of the things you like to talk about, uh, talk about a little bit is Amazon and uh, the gorilla in the room. Yep. And how, how as a farmer, should I even care about what Amazon's doing, right? Yeah, Amazon, for one thing, what Amazon is doing though, they, they are uh, training up a generation of online shoppers. And, uh, and that's not a bad thing for, for any of us that are, and, and ultimately, like Amazon, the smallest farm can leverage and piggyback uh, an infrastructure of delivery, for example, UPS and FedEx. I mean, you, Amazon still uses UPS, uh, you know, for deliveries. It, it's 
it's uh, you know we can we can tap into the same infrastructure that Amazon is. And as I mentioned earlier, I know Seven Sons can out compete Amazon all day long for authenticity and building trust. Uh, we can out compete Amazon all day long when it comes to delivering truly what the customer wants and the quality and consistency. Um, you know where where Amazon has a leg up on us is, is with their uh, level of convenience. Um, but it, that's part of what we're doing with Gracecard is, is offering some of the same technologies that Amazon is offering their, their customers uh, in a buying experience. Um, so uh, Amazon doesn't, uh, doesn't scare us at all. Um, I think it just forces us to continue to innovate and, uh, and double down on our unfair advantages. Uh, whether it's Amazon or you would talk about you know, bigger companies that are in our niche like Amazon or CrowdCow, um, you know, when it, when it comes to competing with those guys, uh, you know, I, I think a local farmer is going to be able to build that trust and that trust will translate into a more loyal customer. And you look at any business, uh, the scalability of any business, you have to have that loyalty. And it's, it's exciting to see what can happen when, when you get that in place, that loyalty engine um, at some point, it just starts growing itself. Uh, people ask us where we get, we, in the last uh, 12 months, I think we've had 13,000 customers buy from us. How they find out about us, you know, I, I can't tell you. Uh, it's just word of mouth and uh, evergreen uh, customers coming back and again and again. Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, if you do enough of the right thing, eventually it, it, it comes back. And yeah. uh, that, that's what's awesome about it. So, this, you know, this sales channel really didn't exist uh, for direct to farmer until just just recently. I mean, it's it's a new information, new innovation was you know smartphones and just making mm -hmm. it far far easier than ever before. We're taking a short break to share that the Ag Emerge podcast is brought to you by the team at Ag Solutions Network. Rooted in innovation, ASN is committed to leaving the land better than we found it not simply maintaining it. We're here to help you navigate the balancing act of productivity and building a legacy. From practices to products, ASN is more than a new jug. It's a new way of thinking. So don't be afraid to be different. Be afraid to be the same. Contact Ag Solutions Network today at asn.farm. And now back to our show. How, how do you see this? I mean, first off, you have to have the market demand for it, which, you know, grass-fed and higher value stuff is a, just a percentage of a percentage type yeah. of man. Um, when, when can it get to where, what is your vision for the future in this market? Is it, is it possible to get to where you have, um, will farmers always need to direct sell what they have, or is there going to get to a point where a farmer can get the price that he needs as a, basically a producer, right. Mm -hmm. And count mm -hmm. on somebody else to market mm -hmm. it. I mean, that's some of the feedback that we get like, yes, I'm really interested. And we, we call it the fifth element, just jokingly, you know, the fifth soil health principle is yep. uh, integrating livestock. And some people call it the fifth element. Yep. Um, you know, they're all excited about doing that, but oh, boy, going down that direct marketing road, they're not so interested in that. So there, there is a gap there, right? Yeah. So first yeah. off you got, I can get people to do soil health principles one through four, you know, they, there's some, push yep. and shove, but we can get there in three years. Okay. Mm -hmm. Then I start talking to the fifth principle and, and they look at me a little cross-eyed, but I think we can get there in five to eight years, but to do that economically, we have to recover some of those costs, right? 
how, how do we bridge that gap, Blaine? If a person doesn't want to do direct market, doesn't have that marketing, mm -hmm. you know, like you're, you're not wanting to come back to the farm would be the same yeah. visceral reaction they would have to not wanting right. to market. Okay. Right. Right. So how do we create uh, a community system to where we can, we can do the right thing for the soil and get the money that the farmer needs to do the right thing? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that, that's a tough question to answer because they're, I mean, we always have to remember we're, we're going to be leaving value on the table. If we're not climbing the value chain, there's just, there's a certain amount of value that, that you're going to be capped at as just a producer, but not to say, not to say, um, uh, there isn't an economic model that would, would work for you. For example, seven sons, we're working with uh, about 20 core producers. Uh, that helps supply our market. So um, I, I think there's going to be more and more opportunities as companies like Grateful Grays grow, as companies like Seven Sons continue to grow. I mean, we are giving that opportunity to 20 core producers that we're working with. Some of them are larger scale, some of them are smaller scale. It does make it easier for the producers that are uh, larger scale because you know if the margin isn't the full uh, retail direct to consumer margin, then they need to obviously have some scale to develop enough uh, profit and throughput to make it work. So there is a little bit of, uh, of a balancing act there. Uh, if you're a small farm and you think that I just gonna, I'm going to completely avoid the consumer um, and sell uh, wholesale or uh, through distribution channels or to a branded program, there's a little disconnect there. You may need to think about a higher, uh, you know, a, a operation of greater scale to make that work. So um, I think we have to be fair with each other. One thing that, that we actually really, really encourage our producers to do that produce for us is we want them to at least be direct marketing um, a couple gonna, animals per year. That's going to bring that up. So. Yes. So that we <laughs> can why all- Why do you have them do this, Blaine? So that they can appreciate the work the that goes into. And, and that way it's not, you're, you're taking all this money, you're capturing, you're just like the other big guys um, out there. Uh, it's, it's not easy. It's not easy, but it is, it is rewarding. Uh, but we, you know, we obviously were, uh, you know, all the eggs we raise come from our farm, all, all the hogs that we sell, most of the pork that we, we sell comes from our farm. We're in the production business. We get that side of it too. And I think that's a healthy balance. Um, and I would love to see more of that, see more food companies that are in the food production business, as well as working with other farms. And then of course, other farms in the marketing business, uh, creates a great appreciation for each other. So I don't know if that answers um, the, the question, but I, I think it will get, as things evolve, um, you know, there will be more opportunities if, if you're not looking to do any direct marketing. So uh, I, I wonder, uh, just throw this idea on here for you, but I wonder when I look at the whole direct marketing, um, you know, the asset requirement, labor requirement to, to for fulfillment from front yeah. end to back end. Um, you have software as a service, basically a shared model for your software. Mm -hmm. um, could there be such a thing as fulfillment as a service? Could there be such a thing as, you know, we currently have processing, but it's kind of, boy, good luck. And don't tell who your processor is because you don't want anybody else taking slots from you. Yeah, right. And <laughs> right. Then that's like the, that's, that's more secretive than your favorite fishing spot is who your processor is. Mm -hmm. And then uh, what about marketing as a service yeah. too, where you have, you know, people who 
when you think you have to get to a certain scale to where you have somebody who's well-versed in SEO and, yeah. and all the backend plugging and yep. content writing and all this stuff that you can do uh, in the fulfillment as a service. I mean, it, small freezers don't cost much more than large freezers and yep. being located in the right metropolitan areas to distribute it from, you know, just because you're in, you know, outside of Fort Wayne, Indiana, and I'm, I'm outside the Quad Cities, you know, I should have a fulfillment center in Chicago and I should have a fulfillment center in Des Moines, you know, right. doing right. that. And, yep. and why couldn't you and I share a fulfillment center in Chicago? We have a freezer space and, yes. and you're paying so much per order to XYZ fulfillment, you know, to where we could get that cost down yes. uh, by sharing overhead. Thoughts on those kind take, of things. Yeah, taking the shared economy to fulfillment, basically, taking it to uh, yeah, uh, home delivery uh Leveraging the same home delivery companies, for example, sure. uh, th those are things. Those are things that I think would be real innovations and are definitely needed. Uh, so I, I think there's a lot of opportunity there. I one of the areas that I have hesitation is when it comes to uh, the marketing. I feel like every farm and every brand uh, has to breathe a soul into that brand, into that business, um, and that's that's difficult to delegate. And, and I think that in there lies the value capture when you start, when you start uh, capturing someone's heart. But don't you, know? you think the content creation is hard to delegate, but the, what you do with the content could be. Yes. In other words, yes. you, know, you need to take yes. the video, you need to write the script in that, but then some keyboard the banger. Yes, the technical, yes, the technical logistics could be delegated or systematized uh, just like just like the fulfillment could be uh, that because that working with a lot of grace cart clients over the years, uh, fulfillment is a big uh, bottleneck. You know that oh, it's, a, it's a hurdle. Crazy expensive. It's a hurdle. Um, and so, uh, you know, but if you again, did 10 times the volume, it would not be anywhere close to 10 times the cost. It'd be maybe 50% more cost. Right. It's <laughs> crazy. Those are, those are fun innovations to think about. Um, and, and another one that we think about, you know, we're seeing uh, scaled graze cart clients on, you know, east and west coast, in the south, in the north, and so many of us are, you know, shipping, you know, air orders, you know, from Indiana out to California, uh, and then you have companies and farms in California shipping air and paying a lot to ship it to Indiana. You know, why can't we think about technology where? Uh, you know, someone jumps on a graze cart site out in California, they pop in their zip code. Why can't there be mutual agreements between two, say, graze cart farms where we're just swapping leads and maybe we just monetize it so we're not concerned about who's sending more leads to the other? Why not a, a lead swapping network uh, uh, for each other? You know, those but are fun goes, things that we think about. But it goes against what you just said a few minutes ago, and you can't delegate your story. Yes. So, I mean, yeah. those people are buying your story to get that grass-fed meat. That's, you know, I'm always having a little fun with Lauren Poncha. So we'll see uh -huh. if you listen to this one, but you know, he's shipping that, you know, kind of okay. California grass-fed meat back here yeah. to the I States when they could be getting our great stuff. Right. Well, you know, we, we don't, we don't want that kind right. of um, California stuff. Right. 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 So, anyway, <laughs> well, no, I think we're going to have a steak throwdown. There's more to come on that, but yeah. Anyway. Well, I, I think that uh, one thing that's unique about our Grace Cart community is a very, uh, uh, I don't want to say uniform or just a, a similar ethos that many of us share. 
And I think the idea of lead swapping could work better in our uh, environment than, than others, but it's still, you have to, you have to win the heart of the customer, not just the mind. And there's where our industrial agriculture gets it all backwards. They're leading with science-based evidence. Okay. But, and we all want science-based evidence, but that's, that's not how you win the, the, the consumer. You start with the heart first, mm -hmm. then the mind. Um, so I remember on an internship, a sales trainer, um, that was working with a group that I was at and, and she said, um, people buy emotionally and justify their decision rationally. So the science is there yeah. to justify why they made this emotional decision. Yes. And, uh, people yeah. pick the science that they want to justify their emotional response. Yes. Uh, yes. can't yes. think of anything that's happened in the last 12 months. It's like that, but, uh, <laughs> You know, that, that's what happens is people yep. make emotional decisions and then they search for information to back up their emotional decisions. So it's just how God wired us. Uh, and, and it's, I forget who said it, but you know, people will forget what you told them, what you showed them, but they'll never forget how you make how them feel. feel. Yeah. And, and that's just an important aspect to remember when we're connecting with consumers. So looking forward to the future. Uh, Seven Sons Farms, uh, Grace Cart, and other enterprises. What what does it look like? What's your what's your visual uh, picture of what the next five years is going to be? Well, we're we're really focused on um, how we can take. You know, we've we've been focused the last five years on how we took this technology piece called Grace Cart and how do we get it out to more farms. So now what we're seeing is the the gap is in the information. So, so what I gave you a fence post and a, and a reel of, of, of wire and, and, you know, you've got to understand the intricacies of how to move cattle and, and uh, you know, figure your stock densities. Well, on the same side on the marketing, we provided a great tool, uh, but we really want to focus in the next five years of mentoring farms when it comes to marketing. Um, and, and coming alongside them in that way. Uh, our, before 2020, we had a kind of we set a vision for the whole team uh, to get around 20 million pounds of regenerative food uh, delivered to consumers by the year 2023. Uh, we've hit that goal already. So we need to set a higher, we need to set a higher goal. <laughs> we thought that would really challenge us. Now COVID really, really helped that. Uh, but ultimately we're, we're going to measure the success as we move forward by how many pounds of food that we're disrupting in the food system. And that's really at the heart of what we're doing is, is changing the food system. And we are, you know, you're changing it uh, over there in Illinois. Every, every time that a customer buys directly from us, we've changed the food system of each customer uh, right, there and, right there and then. And just duplicating that process uh, is where we're going to be laser focused. And again, we, we, we don't care to take over uh, the country with shipping meat directly to consumers' homes. But we want to see more, more farms like Seven Sons everywhere. I think it was interesting because I, I happened to stop by, I was out in your neck of the woods for a meeting and I stopped by late in the afternoon, happened to catch Brooks at the store and he just had laid out this 20 million pound goal. Yeah. And I remember kidding him at the time. I said, 20 million, is that all? Is that all you want? <laughs> you I'm called like, us out. <laughs> I'm like, get some bigger goals now. I didn't know a <laughs> pandemic would have to be involved as part of this, but uh, yeah. no, that's awesome. I mean, and I think that's key for any farmer is that you got to have specific measurable goals that are a stretch at that yes. time, Yes. but it gives you a target to shoot at. Otherwise, uh, you know, Zig Ziglar says, uh, you'll, you know, if you got no target to shoot at, you'll hit it every time. So exactly, <laughs> so, exactly. But, uh, no, that's, that's fantastic. Um, 
and, and like you said, coaching people that, that mentoring and going through um, how to use the tools. It's like anything, you know, we have a lot of um, tools in the toolbox or lures in the fishing box. We don't know how to use, right. Or yep. aren't using them yep. to the fullest. And, uh, and we, we, key. we really, another key is we really, really uh, uh, emphasize the importance of, of building some diversity in your team that your, your farm has it, it to, to be a one man show and be a pr in the production side and the direct marketing side is a very difficult uh, thing to try to do. Uh, we've got to build diversity into our teams. And um, uh, as you build diversity into your business and production, that just makes opportunities for, for more diverse roles to come along. Uh, we always say you've got to, you've got to have the, the producer involved. You've got to have the manager involved and the marketer involved. All three of those have to be in your business. People that excel at those, because usually one person excels at just one of those. Um, and so it's important to take inventory of, of whether it's a family farm or a family business, uh, who has what skill sets and how do we position them to thrive, which has been a, a big, um, a lot of intentionality at Seven Sons has gone into how do we take the diverse skill sets of our family members, of our team members, and how do we let them thrive with, with entrepreneurial opportunities um, and, and environment, so. So hopefully you guys have studied a lot on Jim Collins's work and uh, absolutely good to great yep. right seat yes. on the on the bus yep. is yep especially with a family like that you know seven brothers but that also means you have seven wives too and exactly there's lots of uh, lots of personality differences and yes and interactions to go on there so that that's awesome I want to dive in just a little bit more what you said earlier on the fact and and we we kind of skipped over it but 500 and 500 550 acre farm yes right yes yep 30 full time equivalent employees. Mm -hmm. what kind, um, this is one of the unintended benefits, I think of regenerative agriculture and soil health. So when we capture all that value ladder, like, uh, you said there, and, and we keep it at the farm, what kind of an impact that had in your local community there with the it, 30 employees? Yes, it's, it's had a big impact. Um, just from youngsters that neighbor kids and youngsters that are helping out on the egg business side from, uh, you know, we started developing Grace Cart. A good friend of mine um, that I grew up with, grew up on our farm. He was delivering, I think, water for Kelligan Water Company. And he said, hey, let me take a stab at helping you, you solve some of these challenges on the development side of things. He wasn't a developer. You know, four years later, uh, he's, he's went, you know, from just a regular job to, you know, a six-figure income uh, just because of the skill sets he's learning on the farm for software development. Um, so it you know, that's, and that's something we always ask ourselves, any decision we make, how is it impacting, um, you know, the farm economically, how's it affecting the farm, you know, uh, uh, from the environmental standpoint, but then how is it affecting the, the social community around our farm? And that's one reason that we've been able to grow outside of the initial 20 acres to 550 acres is just neighbors, um, you know, the, the farm neighbors uh, that are, you know, conventional farmers still scratch their head at what we're doing. However, many of the, the, the landowners are really taking an appreciation of what we're doing with, for the land and we're gaining, you know, new farm ground uh, from that. So, uh, yeah, it, it's exciting to, uh, to, to have the amount of community support that we have. Uh, it feels it's rewarding and you feed off of that energy. And, one, and if you look at that, so you've got about one employee per 20 acres, roughly. Yeah. yeah. And, in uh, and, and corn soybean rotation, which would be all around you, right? With yep. conventional yes. farmers. Uh, yes. Typically, that's one employee per 700 to 1,000 acres. 
Mm-hmm. So, I mean, your, your employee density is almost 50 X yes. of, of a conventional operation. Now it's not saying that those employees aren't employed somewhere else, but I think that's uh, part of the fact that money is leaving our small rural communities to go to that somewhere else where yes. here you're keeping that value local. Yes. Yes. And yes. Providing it, more stable, higher income levels for people in your community. And it's a whole system, you know, not all 30 are uh, busy working, you know, on the farm or with the livestock every day, but it's an entire system that's planted right here on the farm. And it, it's just an example of the opportunity that exists for any farm. Um, if, if they have that vision and, and want to stick to it. I think it's amazing. Um, all of the unintended benefits uh, associated yeah. with, um, with regenerative farming. And yes. that's been one of the things that's been interesting for me to discover as we continue to grow this. It's like, okay, well, we have, you know, we have a, the other day, my dad said, says, you know, I counted 15 vehicles here at the shop at one time, you know, <laughs> and it just used to be him and Gary, uh, when I was in California doing, doing a row crop operation. And he's like, good grief. It's a nut house around here. And I said, well, it, it's going to get crazier. So that excites us. I mean, I, I think in industrial agriculture, we've asked ourselves how, you know, how many acres can one farmer farm? And, and we're now asking the reverse question is like, how, you know, uh, how many people can one acre support? Uh, and we want to see that grow because the, the, as our people density has grown per acre, so has our value per acre. I mean, those are inseparable. The more minds, the more creativity, the more innovation, we get so excited about an opportunity to hire. When we need to hire another person, um, you know, that's, that excites us. Bring another person on the farm. Bring more unique skill sets on the farm. Yeah, and, and I think every acre, uh, you know, right across the fence, they receive the same sunlight. They receive the same rain. They got the same temperatures. But it's that opportunity as a steward of those yes. resources that God has given us to see what can you do with it. Yes. And I, I think there's, a, uh, there's some parables related to that. And I think we need to challenge ourselves and back to the mindset, like we talked at the beginning, is are we doing the most we can with what we've been given? Mm-hmm. And it's fascinating that the soil health principles directly correlate into that. And yes. what you, your, your brothers, mom and dad, your entire family has accomplished, I think uh, you're on your, on your path and on an ever uh, greater path to look at are we doing everything possible with what we've been given? Yes. So mm-hmm. congratulations mm-hmm. on what you guys have done. It, it's uh, it's truly an amazing story and it's an ever evolving story. Uh, and it's going to be fun to see what's going on in the next three to five years. We, we feel very blessed and um, are just continue to look for ways that we can, you know, share that knowledge and information with, with others. That's, that's our mindset moving forward. That's awesome. And uh, it's going to take an army to do this, going to take an army of farmers to do it. And uh, I know you're there to help them out and, and coach them along the way. So, so that's awesome. We'll have uh, items about, you know, Grace Cart and your farm and the show notes and the YouTube channels, those kind of things. I encourage people to connect with uh, Blaine and his brothers and uh, stay tuned. Um, They're, this is how you change the food industry is $1 vote at a time. And uh, they're doing it in a big way in Northeast Indiana. So thank you so much for your time today, Blaine. I really appreciate it. Hey, I've enjoyed it. Thank you, Monty. You caught that, right? They're supporting over 30 full-time positions on 500 acres of land. Those unintended benefits of regenerative ag, building soil health, and capturing 
all that value ladder and keeping it on the farm, that's just plain awesome. And as always, if you'd like to learn more about what we're doing to help growers implement soil health practices, check out our website at asn.farm. And there you can click on the links to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn. There's a lot of great things happening and always something to learn. Thanks for listening.